You are listening to the Journal of Rheumatology's Editor's Picks with Dr. Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief. Hi, this is Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Rheumatology, discussing what I feel are particularly important and insightful articles appearing in the December 2018 issue of the Journal of Rheumatology. So without further ado, I'd like to start with the first paper, which is entitled Clinical Responses in Synovial Vascularity in Obese Rheumatoid Arthritis Patients Treated with Adalimumab and Methotrexate by Kaylee and colleagues from University of Florida College of Medicine, North Valley Hospital, and University of California of Los Angeles, USA, and AbbVie Incorporated. It has been observed that patients with RA who are obese tend to report more joint swelling and tenderness and often have poorer responses to therapy than non-obese patients. This article describes a post-hoc analysis of the MUSICA trial. This trial was a phase four double-blind randomized trial that was published in the Journal of Rheumatology in August of 2016. This trial assessed clinical and ultrasound outcomes in 309 RA patients who had had an inadequate response to methotrexate and were beginning therapy with adalimumab. At that time, they were randomized to receive either methotrexate at a dose of 7.5 milligrams a week or 20 milligrams a week. The aim of the current paper, which appears in the December issue, was to determine if there is a difference in the response to therapy between obese and non-obese patients using both imaging and clinical measures of disease activity. A secondary outcome of the paper was to determine if the response in these obese patients differed between patients on 7.5 milligrams per week or 20 milligrams per week of methotrexate. Read this paper to find out if the response to adalimumab plus methotrexate therapy differs between obese and non-obese RA patients. But I want to remind you that when you read this paper that this is a post-hoc analysis rather than a primary or even secondary outcome of the original MUSICA trial. Next article I want to discuss is entitled The Effect of Pregnancy on Disease Activity in Patients with Psoriatic Arthritis by Berman and colleagues from Tel Aviv-Saraska Medical Center and Carmel Medical Center in Israel. The outcome of pregnancies and the effect of pregnancy on disease activity has been well studied in SLE and RA. However, although psoriatic arthritis often affects women of childbearing age, pregnancies in women with PSA has not been well studied. In this study, the authors performed a retrospective chart review of all female patients with PSA seen in two Israeli hospitals who had had at least one pregnancy during the study period. This review identified 25 patients who, with one, at least one pregnancy who had a documented outcome of the pregnancy and a postpartum follow-up. These 25 women were from a total of 107 women with PSA and of reproductive age seen during the study period. Although the authors found that the outcome of the pregnancy was good, as there were 33 live births from a total of 35 pregnancies in the 25 women, 
You will see in the article how many flares occurred during the pregnancy and during the postpartum period. In addition, you will be able to determine if stopping biologic therapy before pregnancy affected disease activity during pregnancy and in the postpartum period. One cannot help, however, to wonder why there were so few pregnancies recorded in the 105 potential patients. Read this article to gain insight into this former question. The next article examines an important question of how to treat lupus nephritis. This paper is entitled, Long-Term Data on Sirolimus Treatment in Patients with Lupus Nephritis by Yap and colleagues from Queen Mary Hospital, Hong Kong. Although the treatment of proliferative and membranous lupus nephritis has improved over the past 20 years, there are still a significant number of patients who are either intolerant or fail standard immunotherapy. Therefore, they require alternative therapies. Sirolimus, a drug commonly used in organ transplantation to prevent rejection, works as an inhibitor of the mammalian target of rapamycin, or so-called mTOR. mTOR has multiple actions, which include immunosuppressive and antiproliferative effects. However, its use in SLE and other autoimmune diseases is limited. In the paper that I'm highlighting, Yap and colleagues reviewed the medical records of all patients with class three, class four, class five, or combinations of class three and five, or four and five lupus nephritis seen in their SLE clinic over a 19 year period. This chart review revealed 16 patients who they treated with sirolimus and prednisolone for proliferative and or membranous lupus nephritis who could either not tolerate standard immunotherapy or who had a history of malignancy, which they felt was a contraindication to their standard therapy of cyclophosphamide. I encourage you to read this hypothesis-generating pilot study to determine if you think that the outcome reported in this article, which was up to four years, and the safety profile of sirolimus described in these 16 patients warns further studies of sirolimus as an in initial and or maintenance therapy in patients with proliferative or membranous lupus nephritis. After reading this article, I believe you will be able to determine if you think you might use this therapy in your patients with lupus nephritis or if you believe a prospective study is warranted. The fourth article I want to highlight is actually an editorial entitled Genome-Wide Sequencing in Rheumatic Disease, which accompanies an original article published in our journal. Although rheumatic diseases are recognized as complex genetic disease, next-generation whole exome sequencing and whole genome sequencing has begun to change this view. This paradigm shift is the result of the ever-increasing affordability and availability of both of these technologies. As a result of these changes, researchers have now begun to identify more monogenic forms of rheumatic diseases. In this December issue of the journal, we have the original article entitled, Whole Exome Sequencing in Early Onset Systemic Lupus Erythematosus by Batu and colleagues from Hasepte University, Ankara, Istanbul University, Serapasa, and University of Health Sciences, Istanbul, 
Actenas University, Antalya, and Dokuz Ayula University, Izmir, Turkey. The author described seven Turkish children with early onset SLE who had homozygous pathogenic single gene mutations, which were implicated in the development of their SLE. In an accompanying editorial entitled Genome-Wide Sequencing in Rheumatic Diseases, Linda Haraki from the University of Toronto Hospital for Sick Children, Toronto, Canada, elegantly outlines how these technologies can be used to diagnose monogenic rheumatic diseases. She reviews the role of targeted gene panels, a relatively inexpensive and rapid first test to examine the results of a single gene mutation. The diseases which currently have such panels included FMF, other autoinflammatory diseases, as well as complement and immunodeficiencies. She outlines the advantages, but also the limitations of these panels. Dr. Hraki goes on to outline when whole exome and whole genome sequencing should be used. After reading the original paper and Dr. Hraki's editorial, you will be in a better position to use these technologies in your practice. The last article I want to discuss is the effect of statin use on mortality in systemic autoimmune rheumatic diseases by Jorge and colleagues from Harvard Medical School, Boston, USA. It is well recognized that most, if not all, systemic autoimmune rheumatic diseases, or so-called SARDs, are associated with an increased risk of mortality and a premature cardiovascular disease. The commonality of all these illnesses are chronic inflammation, the chronic use of corticosteroids, and lipid abnormalities. The combination of these factors has been implicated in the development of premature atherosclerosis and cardiovascular disease. Statins, as a result of their lipid-lowering effect and potential effect on decreasing inflammation, are an obvious therapeutic intervention to decrease atherosclerosis. In the article entitled, The Effect of Statin Use on Mortality in Systemic Autoimmune Rheumatic Diseases, an electronic database entitled the Health Information Network Electronic Database was interrogated. This database includes over 11 million patients from the United Kingdom, which represents approximately 6.2% of the total population. The authors use validated algorithms to identify 2,305 SARD patients who began on a statin and use propensity scoring to identify 2,305 patients who did not begin statin use over the study period. The outcome was all-cause mortality between the patients who began statin therapy and those who did not. The authors found that statin initiation, as expected, was associated with a reduction in all-cause mortality. The study followed these patients annually for up to median up 5.1 years. Read this article to find out what the differences in all-cause mortality was between the treated and untreated groups and how long it took to see a difference. You will be able to determine if the benefit was across all SARDs and if this benefit differed from that seen in a general population treated with statin. 
After reading this article, you can determine if the conclusions are generalizable to your patients with a SARD, and in whom the risk-benefit of the use of statins suggests that a statin should be initiated in an individual patient in your practice. So that's the last article I want to discuss. I hope you read these articles as well as all the other articles in the December issue of the journal and look forward to speaking to you next week.